fighting for freedom every day. Republicans right now, the conservatives, which unfortunately, this is what we have to do every time, even after a vote where people are sick and tired of the establishment, they're sick and tired of the squeezy, middle-of-the-road, squishy kind of Republican rhinos, and we vote conservatives in, then we have to fight tooth and nail in D.C. to actually be heard within the Republican Party. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. You're darn right it is. Hey, welcome into the program. What's up? It's a Tuesday, the post-Monday celebration, the greatest day of the entire week. I don't care what anyone says. We are carpe diemisms all over this place. It's what we do on the show every single day. Trying to bring some enlightenment, trying to educate a little bit, trying to have some fun while doing it all, while making some that just don't use their brains make their brains break just a little bit. We got a lot to talk about today. Holy cow, I'm going to try and cram literally about three hours of a program into a one-hour show. So that's just what we do on this program. Welcome into it. Broadcasting live out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas. On our flagship radio station, we are all over the country. Radio, TV, live streaming, podcasting, however you watch or listen to the show. Always a pleasure. We love you to death. Welcome aboard your Millennial General reporting for duty like we do every single day. No guests today. You and I just chit in the chat. And I did that intentionally today because there is so much I wanted to talk about. And it kind of all fit into one topic and category. So why not just cram it all into one program? We have, and we'll get to it in just a little bit, the U.S. Supreme Court was hearing day number one of the hearings on the student loan forgiveness program on whether the Biden administration and the Department of Education are able to just wipe away ten to $20,000 of student loans that are guaranteed by the government, and they're able to just do it with the swipe of a pen without congressional approval, and whether it's constitutional or not. And while that hearing began this uh, today, which, yes, we're going to get into the weeds of it, and we're actually going to play some of the audio from the hearings that happened today, and the today it was the defendants, meaning it was the federal government, that was actually defending their position on how it's constitutional, being Q&A'd by the Supreme Court justices. I have some of that audio. We'll break it down and let you know exactly what's going on with this case. But while that's happening outside of the Supreme Court, there were protesters wanting their student loans forgiven, and they were playing music. This music, to be exact. And I... I I don't know. I don't know. I I don't know what that exactly means and why uh, a little bit of jazz, and really it sounds like not the best kind of jazz, uh, was being played outside. Apparently that would warm the hearts of the Supreme Court justices in order to make them say, you know, maybe the student loan forgiveness is kind of a nice thing and everything will be just fine and hunky-dory. I, I don't know. I have no clue. Sometimes the other side, again, just doesn't use their brains or how that's going to help their cause in some way, shape, or form. So we'll get to that here in just a little bit. But, man, I tell you what, I have not seen the media and the other side of the aisle whine and complain more so over the last, really last week, really more so the last couple of days than I have really in about a year. If you remember a year ago was the big issue where we had the the – uh, federal government end the universal basic income. I mean, the child tax credits that were going into where you would get a monthly payment from the federal government during the COVID-19 pandemic based on how many children that you had. And instead of just being able to write them off on your taxes and get a uh, get a write off on your taxes every year that you file, you would actually be able to increase that. And then be able to have that check sent to you, direct deposit or a hand check mailed to you every single month. And we did that for about six months in this country during the COVID pandemic. And they raised the uh, amount that you could write off per child. What was it from $2,000 up to like $3,500 or something. And uh, uh, everybody was able to get that money broken up on a month by month basis. And then it ended in December 
of last year. And everybody lost their minds, and the media had an absolute heyday. Because how dare you? How dare you? End a government program once we start it. Because as you know, once the government gets power and starts a new department or agency or a new program, it doesn't go away. You give the government a little bit of power and authority, and then they never let it go away, and it just continues to grow. So they lost their minds that people were going to die in the streets. They said that people were going to like have kids dying in the streets. They were going to have families die in the streets because they needed that money. It was essential for them to get that universal basic account. I mean, the child tax credit on a monthly basis directly deposited into their account. And I was shocked because I honestly thought it was going to continue. Because, again, the government never releases or relinquishes any of their power. And the media lost their minds when it actually stopped in January of last year. So now we have new, and I guess this is our What's Trending story of the day, we have new programs What's trending today? that are on their way out here relatively soon. Now that the Biden administration, as of January 1 or January 31, I can't remember, uh, sometime in the month of January, signed the final executive order for the extension of the national emergency that was declared under the COVID-19 pandemic. Being the final extension of that declaration of emergency, that means that the extension goes until May 11th of this year, and then we are no longer under a declaration of emergency in the country. Now, I I know, I know, what does that mean? What that means is that many of the COVID-19 programs that were helping individuals will be ending. And again, just like we saw at this time last year when the media said, oh, everybody's going to die in the streets because we're not getting that universal basic income. I mean, the child tax credit directly deposited into our accounts. <laughs> and the reason I say it, the reason, by the way, for people like, wait, why does he keep messing up on that one? The reason it was a universal basic income, because normally you would have to qualify on your taxes to make enough money to write off the child tax credit on your taxes in order to get that benefit of writing it off on your taxes. But that wasn't the case when we were getting it directly deposited into our accounts. Anybody who had a child, whether you made enough money to actually qualify for that child tax credit or not, was getting that money directly deposited into your account. So it was not a tax credit. It was a universal basic income, just a direct deposit. Federal government, here's your stimulus money on a monthly basis for you to live your life. So don't call it a child tax credit, even though that's what they were calling it. But now, just a year later... It's just let's put the record on repeat and do the same sob story, the same panic, the same disaster over again. I'm going to read you some headlines here, uh, multiple ones, where the media is just losing their absolute minds over the fact that people could die in the streets all over again with the ending of the national emergency extension on May 11th. So this one, according to MWE.com. Where the federal government sent out a memo to businesses across the nation warning businesses of their taxes on how they fund the Medicare program at the federal level. Because with the COVID-19 national and public health emergencies ending, therefore, the standards and qualifications of Medicare will be going back to prior COVID-19 to where only certain individuals based on their income or based on their circumstances qualify instead of just anybody who actually signs up. Very terrible. Very scary for them. They don't like that. That's that's terrible for them. Number two. This is from ABC News. Pandemic era food stamps are ending for nearly 30 million Americans. Why? Because not anybody who just willy-nilly signs up like they did under the COVID-19 pandemic are now having to qualify again based on having to apply to a certain amount of jobs having to be under a certain threshold economically based on the medium income across the nation. You actually have to qualify for the programs now like we did prior or else you're going to lose your SNAP programs and your food stamps 
coming in. I know that's a terrible thing. You actually have to apply for jobs that are open up now. And let me tell you, there are plenty of jobs available as we still have a record amount of jobs that are open, even in the entry-level positions for waiters and waitresses or fast food joints or bars and nightclubs or whatever else, hospitality, which has been growing over the last few months, but is still not quite there. But now you actually have to apply for the jobs again in order for you to qualify for the SNAP program and to be able to get your food stamps. Again, losing their minds over it. They're not liking it very much. Which I do find ironic, by the way, because the economy apparently is doing really well, according to the government and the mainstream media, how we had the fastest recovery after the pandemic. Things are doing wonderful. You don't have to worry. The largest job growth ever in the record history of this nation with 10 million, 12 million (laughs) jobs, whatever the Biden administration says. We've created more jobs than ever before. And we created more jobs than ever before in one singular month for the month of January last month with like 500,000 plus jobs that were created. But everybody's going to die because they can't afford food stamps now and they're not going to qualify because now people are actually getting their jobs back. I know it's a it's a hard, difficult task under Karine Jean-Pierre, the communications director for the White House and just the Biden administration and Democrats in general having to say the economy's really good. Everybody's back to work. And then. We're all going to die because no one can get a job and we can't qualify for government benefits any longer. Here's another one from the Center for Budget and Policy Priorities, where states must now begin uh, again going through coverage requirements from Medicaid. We had Medicare be changed at the federal level. Now Medicaid at the statewide levels, these states are now going to be going through and again looking at qualifications and whether you qualify for the program or not instead of just willy-nilly anybody that signs up can because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Then, of course, we have the recession that's looming as well as we have uh, individuals that still can't afford things. And then the mind-boggling stat of the federal government and the media saying, oh, hey, wait a second, even with the recession looming and the high inflation that's still six and a half, seven, seven and a half percent, depending on where you're at across the nation, that people are still spending. We're not slowing down our spending habits. And it's puzzling many investors all over the place. So who's actually spending that money and why? Can we run a story that says we have the best economic recovery, we have job growth galore, we have all these industries that are gaining, especially in the hospitality industry, especially in the manufacturing industries that they say are doing very, very well. But then at the same time, how dare you cut benefits from the COVID-19 pandemic? Look at all the millions of people that are going to lose their benefits, that are going to die in the streets because they can't afford to go out and get groceries for their children. How can you run both of those stories at the same time? Then you ask the question, who's spending the money? Let's just say for a second that we have some demographic specifically that's spending the majority of the money, that even with the high inflation, they don't care. They're continuously spending to try and keep up to the habits of luxury, the lifestyle, the spending habits that they had prior to COVID, during COVID, and even now after COVID. What demographic could that potentially be? Hmm, let me think about it a second. Um, let me pause. Oh, yeah, that's right. The millennial generation. (laughs) Again, as a millennial myself, I apologize for my generation because we're the ones stupid that are continuously one of the largest generations. As the baby boomers are on the way out, 
No offense to you, baby boomers. We love you to death. But as you're on the way out of the workforce, you're beginning to retire. You're beginning to be on a set income. You're beginning to kind of have just whatever you can get with your Social Security or whatever retirement plans that you have. You're going to be on a level of a set income, meaning if inflation goes up, you have you're forced, whether you like it or not, you're forced to make adjustments in your monthly expenses, whether it's uh, your bills, whether it's expendable cash, whether it's luxuries and hotels and vacations or whatever that you do, you're forced to actually make adjustments because you're going to be limited on that set income on a monthly basis. The millennial generation, Generation Z behind us, we're the ones now going into the workforce that we can make or break as much as we want to here, and we're not changing our spending habits, which is screwing up the entire economic outlook for all the investors that are scratching their heads and saying, why are interest rates so high right now to battle inflation? The the inflation not going down. In fact, it went up another half a percent for the last month. Things are still ridiculously expensive, and yet people are still spending money and not caring about it. Even though we're going into a recession, they don't care, and we're just going to spend as much as we possibly want. You can blame that on the financial illiteracy of my generation that's going into their early 30s, mid-30s, late 30s right now, maybe even to the early 40s, I believe, is where that number kind of stretches right now. And we are not changing our habits, apparently. And I say that we in the millennial generation being part of that, although I shake my head at half of these yahoos out there. Uh, Yes, it is the millennial generation that is giving the economy a bad name and screwing up the outlook and screwing up how things are done right now. When we should be holding off and spending less, we're not because we want to keep up with our luxuries that we have. I am told this is a garbage disposal. Yeah, it's that generation that's kind of throwing the wrench in the system right now. So is it really our fault, though? Let's be honest. And why are we doing it? Why are we keeping up and maintaining this lifestyle when the economy is in such a bad situation? We'll do that when we come back here on a Tuesday for The Voice of Reason. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. This is The Voice of Reason. With Andy Hoosier. All right, it is. Welcome back into the program. Radio, TV, live streaming, podcasting, however you watch, listen to the show. We love you to death. Thanks for hanging out today for a post-Monday celebration. So we have the economy moving downward. I mean, again, you always say if you want to know what the economy is doing, look at what the bigwigs are doing. Look at what the banks are doing. And they're selling off right now. They're preparing for a recession. Everybody's talking about a recession of 2023 that won't recover in 2024 and may start coming back in 2025. <laughs> That's the plan right now, which conveniently, ironically, is the same time that the presidential election is based on the changing of policy and the leadership in this country that may turn things around here. So while the economy is in a tank, interest rates are high, inflation continues to climb because interest rates apparently aren't high enough because that's the only solution to ever solve inflation, which is raise interest rates, not stop spending, not capping spending, not stopping printing money. No, no, it's only raising interest rates. That's the only way to end inflation in this nation. (laughs) Is that true? I don't know if that's true. Is that Okay. Making sure. All right. Just is it absurd? Bernie Sanders would know, right? It is totally absurd. All right. Just making sure. So while that's going on, uh, despite that, according to NPR, despite high inflation, Americans are spending like crazy and it's puzzling many experts as the drop in consumer spending would help to cool inflation, but it would also raise concerns about a recession. On the other hand, as spending continues to grow at this pace, it could force the Federal Reserve to raise interest rates even more aggressively 
to bring prices under control because they want to raise the interest rates to where you do forcefully stop spending money. But are we getting the hint? Are we getting the hint? No, no, no. The millennials, my generation, are the ones that continue to spend because they refuse to let go of their lifestyle and do something different. Here are five headlines. Just Googling millennials grow largest debt. Here's the headlines right now. Number one from Business Insider. Millennials go into debt, miss credit card payments in order to afford a middle-class lifestyle. Meaning I don't care what's going on with the economy. I have to maintain a certain level of preciousness, and I can't go below that, so therefore I'm going to miss even debts that I have. I'm going to miss my student loan debts. I'm going to miss my credit card payments. I'm going to miss my auto loans, my whatever, because I can't lose this style of lifestyle. I can't actually go to work and work in you know other places. I can't find additional revenue sources. I need to maintain a certain lifestyle here. And how dare you say that I need to do anything else? Here we go, another one from Bankrate. Millennials and Generation Z fall behind on auto payments. These are all, by the way, within the last, uh, the first one was seven hours ago. This one was one hour ago. Millennials and Generation Z fall behind on auto payments. Uh, Yahoo Finance, I make $100,000 a year, but how come life is still so hard? Oh, wait, I'm sorry. Oh, what a terrible, terrible. How dare you? Yahoo Finance, which generation has the most student loan debt? Millennials are the largest portion of the nation's debt, most likely, with $149.5 billion in total student loan borrowing in millennial generation individuals only. Here's the hill. Parents pay at least a one monthly bill for 40% of millennials. Now, remember, millennials are about 30 to about 40 right now, 28 to 40. Parents are paying at least one monthly bill for 40% of all millennials across the nation. And it goes on. These headlines from the millennials, these are the ones that are throwing the wrench in the system here. Usually when the economy does badly, you tighten the belt, you stop the spending, and you do less. The millennials, however, which can we, uh, let's be honest here, though, instead of just blaming my generation, can we at least be honest about what we've gone through and the life that we've experienced growing up as a kid? I mean, as a kid for myself, the biggest thing as a kid before I even knew about finances or what was going on was going on with the real estate bubble that burst under the Clinton administration. And what happened? The government interjected itself to save the day and this real estate market crashed. Then we had the bailouts for the auto industry and the bank industries. Under George W. Bush, because, well, we just they're too big to fail. Remember that term, too big to fail. We can't let them fail. We need a government bailout here. Boom, government came in to save the day. Obamacare came in, obviously. It's too expensive. It's too ridiculous. We need some assistance. Obama signed it off, consuming a sixth of the economy. Obamacare. Then we had the COVID-19 pandemic under Trump and Biden with the socialist takeover. It's a tough time for you. Here's a paycheck. We'll get you through it. We've grown up with never having to sacrifice anything in our entire existence, understanding finances. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. When Reason Meets Radio, this is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Oh, so much to talk about and oh, so little time to do it. Welcome back in. Trying to cram that 10 pounds of reason into that 5-pound bag. Trying to rebrand the millennial generation one radio listener at a time on our multiple radio stations. It's tough, though. <laughs> it's very tough. We have to shake them by the lapels and wake them up. 
We have to wake him up because right now we have a recession on the way. We have debt. We have inflation. We have high interest rates. And debt is skyrocketing. And millennials are the ones. I don't want to lose my lifestyle that I have. I don't want to lose what I have right now. I'm just going to continue to do what I'm doing because, well, i got to maintain, man. But again, I ask, is it really our fault? Psychologically, we've been kind of messed up. We did not get any financial literacy classes when we were growing up, so we were just kind of figuring it out on our own, and nothing against our parents' generation above them. But at the same time, the parents' generation, they grew up in the 80s, man, 70s and 80s, and they wanted to party and have a good time. They wanted to work and then get the done with the work so they could go out and have fun. And um, making sure that we were financially prepared maybe wasn't the top of the priority list. <laughs> could be wrong on that, just kind of throwing that concept out there. They were about to having the fun, let's work, uh, and then I'm not going to make it into a career. I'm just going to work to have fun, and then I'm going to have fun at, on the side. And that's really what the 80s were about. I really wish I could have lived in that, man. I told you, I'm, I'm still born in the wrong generation. I Either one generation passed and live and grow up in the 70s and 80s, which would have been awesome, or I wanted to live like a thousand years ago because just new technology and just surviving on your own. We don't live in a free society, no matter how much they try and tell you that. You have your phone watching you the entire time. You have taxes. You have regulations. And while it's stupid to not, for example, ride around with your seatbelt on, why in the world does the government need to stop you and tell you you need to put on your seatbelt? I mean, that's that's the level of bubble wrap helicopter crap that we have from the federal government right now that absolutely drives me nuts. So, no, you don't live in a free society, although they try to tell you that we do, and it's only going to get worse from now. But with the millennial generation, my generation, the crazy ones, I know. I am told this is a garbage disposal. I know Those are the ones right now that are kind of the um, standard for the millennials on how bad we are at our finances. But again, is it really our fault? Is it honestly really our fault? We grew up with the real estate bubble burst during the Clinton. I guess you could even go further back than that, can't you? You can go back to the Bush senior days, the globalization we're going to start working with other nations, the new world order that he talked about, where everything's going to be stable. Let's go ahead and start exporting a lot of our manufacturing outside of the country to other places. So that way it's cheaper, it's more affordable. And then the ultimate goal, as we talked about with our guest yesterday, uh, Ken Raposa, where he said the ultimate goal was to, hey, when we got rid of all the manufacturing in the country, we were just going to give those people that used to work those manufacturing jobs, we're just going to give them a check. We don't know what else to do with them. A lot of them don't know how to get with the times on new technology and be a software designer or a uh, online security guy, which I don't know how to do that either. I would be stuck in that boat. So we're just going to give them a check and the universal basic income will officially be here. That's what they wanted. So we had that mindset starting when I was really young around the time that we were born, uh, right around that time with Bush Sr. Then we had the real estate bubble with Clinton to where the government, hey, we're going to help out. We're going to inject the economy with this big bubble of money. We're going to print a buttload of money. We're just going to start getting rid of the you know, the actual cap of what we can spend per GDP ratio, which was at 35 40%. Now we're at 100%, just FYI. Then we had the Bush administration with the bailouts on the auto industry, the bank industry. We're too big to fail. They can't fail. The economy will crash and tank if we let them fail. And a business actually makes bad business decisions and has to shut doors. <laughs> can't be doing that. Got to bail them out. Then we had Obama. The economy's bad. We have another recession because of too much government spending. The health care is too expensive. Let's go ahead and sign Obamacare. Consumer sixth of the U.S. economy will take care of you because it's really, really hard and tough to actually live and survive on your own. So we're going to do Obamacare now. Then we had COVID, the golden platter for the socialists. 
universal basic income. I mean, child tax credits paid out on a monthly basis. Being able to sign up for Medicare and Medicaid at the statewide levels and the SNAP programs and unemployment benefits without even questioning on whether you're applying for jobs or actually looking for jobs or doing anything. You don't have to worry about that. You can't be around public. We're going to go ahead and just give you a paycheck and then we'll figure it out later. The golden goose for socialism under the COVID-19 pandemic. My generation, the millennial generation, as screwed up as we are and as dumb of decisions as we make sometimes, we grew up our entire lives with government always there to save the day. Every single time. That's why we see the media losing their mind last year when the universal basic income, I mean the child tax credits, ended up being stopped on a monthly basis with the automatic deposits. That's why the media, again, is throwing their absolute hissy fits and the left wing is losing their absolute minds over the fact that COVID-19 national emergency response is ending and that you actually have to qualify again to get food stamps on the SNAP program or to get Medicaid or to get Medicare or whatever other benefit that they may be getting right now under the COVID-19 pandemic. You actually have to apply for jobs again. You have to try to get a job. And they'll go back to the system like somewhere before of getting a job for a couple of months, losing the job, requalifying for benefits, and then starting the whole process all over again uh, when there's a plethora of jobs available for entry-level positions still, for fast food joints, for bars, nightclubs, and restaurants in your community, for manufacturing, because those industries have yet, even hospitality, have not recovered yet from the COVID-19 pandemic, but they don't want those because, again, they don't want to lose the cushy lifestyle. They're making more money on the government assistance than what they aren't, which leads us to today with the U.S. Supreme Court hearing the case for student loan forgiveness. What's trending today? Now, again, everything that we've talked about over the last half hour, think of it through that lens as we go into the student loan forgiveness where our entire lives, as the millennials who hold the largest amount of student loan debt by exactly near $149.5 billion alone in my generation of the early to mid to late 30s, early 40s generation right now, they're the ones that have the government their entire lives see the government step in to take care of them when times get hard. They've never had to sacrifice. And then on top of that, then again, you have the younger or the older generation, the parent generation that has kind of done the whole helicopter parenting. Don't worry. We're going to take care of you. I mean, heck, we saw the headline here that 40 percent of millennials have their parents paying for at least one monthly bill at the age of 40 years old. Parents paying for one bill, at least in 40 percent of all millennials across the nation. We've always been taken care of. We've always had things handed to us. And when things get rough and tough, we've always had someone there to save the day. We've never had to sacrifice. We've never had to step back and say, wow, things are really bad. Maybe I should cut back. We've never had to do that. From the parents growing us up to the societal decisions that have been made from the federal government. So they don't comprehend When we say we're not going to end your student loan, you actually have to pay that back because you made an obligation. It doesn't register in the brains of many on the other side of the aisle in the young generation. They don't grasp it because they don't understand. Times are tough already. I'm already defaulting on credit card payments or on auto loans or on other things because I have to live this life of luxury. If I and I can't afford Obamacare, so now I need or I can't afford healthcare, so I had to get Obamacare. And now if those student loan payments come back, I can't afford those. What are you guys going to do about me? And that's where the big decision comes from here. Now, remember, the Supreme Court cases, the two of them, one from Nebraska, one from Missouri, neither one of them are actually challenging the constitutionality 
of whether the executive branch and the Department of Education can write off a student loan debt from the federal government that's promised by the federal government, not the private loans here. All my student loans are private. I've had to pay on mine for the last three years, even during COVID-19. Those are still there. The private sector is like, yeah, that's funny. Pay back your damn debts at a ridiculous 13, 8, 13% interest rate, which pisses me off, but that's another conversation for another time. But these are for the federally insured uh, student loan debts that the government would be getting. We're going to play some of the audio here. This is the attorney for the defendant of the federal government making her opening case on why this is totally cool. And this is from the case coming out of Nebraska. Utilities, food, and many have been unable to pay their debts. To head off immediate harm for student loan borrowers, two secretaries across two administrations invoked the HEROES Act to suspend interest and payment obligations for all Americans with federally held loans. But if that forbearance ends without further relief, it's undisputed that defaults and delinquencies will surge above pre-pandemic levels. All right, let's stop right there. It's about a two-minute clip, so we'll kind of break it up into pieces here. This is the opening statement, by the way. And if you want to hear it, I highly recommend you do. It's kind of mind-numbing because it's all legal jargon, but it's literally the audio that she's presenting to the U.S. Supreme Court. There's Q&A back and forth between all the justices. It's about three and a half hours long that you can find on YouTube. And obviously, we can't play all three and a half hours of it on here and break it all down, but we can at least get to some of these pieces. So first point is... There would be economic disaster. We already can't afford our bills, which is funny because they say that we've had record number of jobs. Medium average income across the nation has been increasing. Everybody's doing great starting their own businesses. Everything's wonderful, except for the ones that have the student loan debt. And if that comes back, it would be a disaster. Not a constitutional argument by any means, but at least it's the fear tactic trying to instill into the Supreme Court justices of an economic disaster if we don't do this. So Secretary Cardona again invoked the HEROES Act to provide a measure of loan forgiveness to ensure that this unprecedented pandemic does not leave borrowers worse off in relation to their student loans. The states ask this court to deny that vital relief to millions of Americans, but they lack standing to seek that result. They principally assert harm to a separate legal person, Mohila, that could sue in its own name but has chosen not to do so. And the state's asserted harms to their tax revenues are self-inflicted and indirect. This- All right, let's stop that right there again real quick. So Mohila is the Missouri Higher Education Fund, whatever. They handle a lot of the private student loans across the nation. And uh, along with them and the state of Nebraska, they are making the claim, not again constitutionality, but that they are at a... Uh, financial damaging state if these are forgiven because then they won't get the money paid back to them that they're part of with these programs. That's the case we're making here is that someone's going to be losing money, either the private sector or them or the government, and therefore because of financial damages and losses, therefore we can't forgive these student loans. That's the case that we're hearing under both of these situations for the Nebraska case and the Missouri case that all these states have jumped on here as well. That's what's going to make or break this to fall. Do you agree with that? We'll continue this when we come back here. One more segment right around the corner here on a post-Monday celebration for the Voice Reason. Stay here. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason 
with Andy Hoosier. All right, it is. Welcome back into the program. So much to cover, so little time to do so. Hey, by the way, all a lot of the show prep I'm starting to use now, and a lot of the stories that we hear, a lot of the current events that are going on to keep you up to date on what's going on, you need as much information as possible. And as you know, some of the, uh, I guess, search engines out there are very biased, they're very narrowing, and they only let you see what they want you to see to try and keep up that divisiveness. You need all the information, both here in the country and abroad, all the information that's going on out there. I want to give a shout-out to our friends over at OpsLens, O-P-S-L-E-N-S dot com, as you, they obviously host a lot of our streaming for the video on their website and their app and all their social media. They now have a new feature, and it's really awesome. Because, for example, the Ohio train derailment that happened, while our mainstream media for the first couple weeks of it was like, yeah, not a big deal. Yeah, every other media outlet in the world was like, yeah, that's actually like a Chernobyl situation for the United States. Uh, and they realized how devastating it actually was. Our own media didn't give it any credit. You need to know what's really going on and what other places around the world are actually thinking about some of these issues. And now you can do that. OpsLens has a new feature called Worldview. If you go on to OpsLens.com, O-P-S-L-E-N-S.com, you can go there, you can check it out, and you can subscribe to any type of topic, any type of keywords that you're interested in, whether it's financial stuff, military, Second Amendment, or social issues, whatever it may be. You can type in those keywords. You can find the articles all over the world from all sides, both sides, right and left, middle of the road, personal blogs, doesn't really matter. Any type of cool information on those topics to learn what's really going on in the world, and that way you can gain the proper perspective on these issues. And here's the kicker. You get five days free before it actually kicks on on a monthly basis, and if you use my promo code for this program, VOR10, meaning voice of reason, VOR10, then you get 10% off of your subscription on a monthly basis as well. It's a super cool feature. Be in the know, unlike anybody else. Be informed on issues, unlike anybody else. I highly recommend that because that is how we're going to get out of the shenanigans by understanding, by knowledge, by intelligence, by wisdom. And in the world of the information wave, the information overload, then you can be in the know with all of these issues. Again, go to opslens.com, V-O-R-10. Use that promo code and get 10% off on your subscription for that Opslens. Uh, question for you as we wrap up this conversation with the uh, student loan hearings, and they're obviously going to continue on. We haven't been able to play much of the clips here. But I ask you the question, when you give up power, is it really your fault when you try to get it back? Haven't we learned a lesson here? Maybe that's the lesson that Congress needs to learn here. For years, Congress has been pawning off their duties, their responsibilities, constitutionally, to the fourth branch of government. This is the uh, agencies and the bureaucrats to just let them handle certain issues. Then issues like this pop up with student loan forgiveness. Do you want to really write off a half a billion dollars of the economy and uh, just writing it off of student loan debt across the nation and just do it willy-nilly with the sign of a pen from the Department of Education and the Biden administration with the presidency and leave Congress out of it completely when they're supposed to have the power of the purse? Maybe that's a lesson that needs to be learned here. And that was discussed during the hearings today with Justice Samuel Alito conversing with the defendant for the federal government on this issue. Do you think that the doctrine also or perhaps primarily has a separation of powers component? Yes, of course, I recognize the court has grounded it in the separation of powers, but I think that that cuts in favor of the distinction that we're trying to make, because if the court were to apply major questions in this benefits context, even in a circumstance where you might think Congress could quite reasonably want to legislate broadly, then it would have the effect of potentially overriding Congress's intent, contrary to the same kind of separation of powers principles the court is focused on. What? What? That if Congress would actually handle the issue, then it would actually go against 
their will and power. She goes on to say that Congress actually has handed in uh, has the authority to do this because they've openly handed that power off to the Department of Education. Well, of course, we think Congress did address this expressly here and Congress directed that in the context of a national emergency, that is the the limitation of the HEROES Act, so the secretary can't invoke this whenever he wants, there has to be that predicate war or military operation or national emergency in that context, in line with Congress's limitations on who can count as an affected individual by that emergency, in line with the purposes that relief has to serve, Congress said you can waive or modify any Title IV provision in order to get relief to borrowers. There it is. Congress openly handed this power over. According to the argument from the government, Title IV, which is allowing the government to create a program to help individuals in assistance with higher education expenses, is tied to the HEROES Act that says that when there's a declaration of war or a national emergency, they can waive, modify is the keyword, modify Title IV in any way that they deem necessary. And they say that writing off a half a billion dollars is just modifying Title IV through the HEROES Act, all of it that should be under the jurisdiction of Congress that they willy-nilly handed off because they don't want to do their damn jobs and hold the power of the purse, or this wouldn't even be an issue. More hearings coming up. We'll play some more of that and keep on top of it as it goes along. Until then, be your own voice of reason. Let's bring some common sense back into the world by that catalyst to change in your local community. Until then, this is The Voice of Reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. We'll see you on the radio.